it really came to these kind of conversations about how to move that forward where, you know, I'd have to leave the office and just be out in the car park and take some deep breaths and, and walk around and, and think I'm still going to, you know, this can still move forward. It has to move forward. How does it move forward? So essentially the innovation fund got scrapped because of politics. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. To join our community, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and receive the risk reduction checklist I've created from the lessons I've learned from all my guests. And get my weekly email to help you increase your investment return. Also in the community, you get a super special podcast listener discount on my six-week Valuation Masterclass Bootcamp. The bootcamp is for those who want to learn exactly how to value companies like a pro and advance their career in finance. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com to join the community for free. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest Jenny Wild. Jenny, are you ready to rock? Always. Yes. And for the listeners out there, you can't see it, but it's a stunning view. You know, a lot of times when we talk on Zoom, people have these amazing backgrounds and it looks like they're in a beautiful, beautiful location. But in fact, Jenny's is a real background. <laughs> so let me introduce you to the audience. Jenny Wild has over 15 years of ex hands-on experience as a senior manager in humanitarian response, and she's an innovation expert. She has supported innovative organizations and initiatives in countries as diverse as the USA, South Sudan, and Nepal. She has pioneered initiatives that break from conventional innovation models and enable global scale. Jenny, take a minute and fill in further tidbits about your life. Wow. And thank you. I'm in Queenstown. So short break. You should all come to Queenstown because it's very beautiful. So I guess I've spent the majority of my life in humanitarian action. So typhoons, civil conflicts, earthquakes, trying to support people with opportunities to grow back their lives. And during that time, as many people talk about, I got really interested in how do we do this better? How do we create more value? How do we create kind of big transformational shifts. And of course, I fell into innovation. And so now I do that full time for companies or not for profits, as diverse as kind of building innovation engines and agile transformations to focusing on, you know, skills and capability development. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's and cool. when people speak about innovation, you know, sometimes I know exactly what they mean, but sometimes I don't know anything of what they mean. Maybe you could describe to the audience, like, what does innovation mean to you and kind of why should we think about innovation? Aren't we innovative already? <laughs> well, as the globally recognized authority on innovation, I can tell you exactly what it means. <laughs> mm. Look, I think there's many definitions and types of innovation all the way from kind of incremental innovation where you're saying, we have this kind of process and we're going to improve this process all the way up to incredibly trans 
transformative innovation like the iPhone, which has changed the way we live and work, or the internet, or, you know, the future of AI, blockchain, energy tech, etc. So, so I would class that all as innovation. There are many different mm-hmm. definitions. It's just kind of different levels of innovation, if you will. And, you know, in some ways, when you look at people, I mean, I've worked in big companies myself over the years. Sometimes just people are not that innovative. And, you know, bosses are at the top of companies going, we need to be more innovative. And people are like, yeah, I just want to do my job. And, you know, thanks a lot. And this is just more work or whatever. How does, how does a company bring that innovative thinking without like, I don't know, how do they bring their staff along with that? I can see like the top people chanting innovation, innovation, and maybe they believe it. Maybe they don't, I don't know. But I just think that it's such a challenge because people are kind of, you know, focused on just doing their thing. Mm. I mean, there's many things like innovation that a CEO will say, I know we need to do, I know we need to be innovative. All the business literature, the kind of shifts in my industry, what I see of the, the changing pace of the world today, but I've got all this other stuff to do. And so I'm going to talk about innovation and hope someone picks up that ball and they don't, or I'm even going to kind of bring in a consultancy and, and hope that they can do the work for me. And I think, I mean, there's many places that organizations stumble, but I think some of the core elements is you have to have leadership buy-in. You need to understand what that means to you. So not just what is innovation, but what does that mean strategically? Your strategy, your organizational strategy should be set up around what does that mean as a core part of your work, perhaps as an additional program, as both and. And then it needs to be about building that kind of culture and capability and the structures within the organisation. So I could talk about all of that. That's the kind of stuff we do with a lot of firms across Europe and the US. But it's, you know, sometimes it's seen as kind of this add-on and you see organisations going through phases of kind of talking about it but not much happens, talking about it and then adding a kind of bolt-on like, we're going to do an innovation lab that will be separate to the organization and won't really change it, which then doesn't really work. And then kind of take a realization that is, wow, this is a, this is actually about our whole organization and mm-hmm. what we, and it's not just a word. So the organizations that will survive in the future are those who can, who can be innovative, who can be adaptive and agile. Mm. It's interesting because I think about, one of my teachers, Dr. W. Edwards Deming, when I was a young guy, I studied with him and it was kind of, it's hard to understand because at first he talked about how quality needs to be set from the top. Okay, I, I got that. If top's not committed, but then, then I thought, okay, set up a quality department and da, 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 da. And what he said is, no, 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 you've got to build quality into every job. You've got to build every- quality thinking into everybody. Otherwise you never transform the business. And Mm. so a lot of that sounds similar to the type of thing you're saying about innovation is you've got to bring kind of the innovative mindset or else, you know, throughout the organization, if you try to set it up as something separate, you know, it's never going to be, it's always going to be seen as that separate entity. There's a kind of crazy men and women over there that are doing that crazy stuff, but that doesn't come into my world. So that's, I think that's a great, just a great tidbit right there for the listeners. So interesting. 
I want to be more innovative and uh, I hope that I can be. So I'm glad that I can meet you and learn a little bit about that. And now, so we're no longer going to talk about innovation. Now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstance leading up to it and then tell us your story. Well, luckily my worst investment ever is actually around innovation because that's all I do. (laughs) So... So I was the operational director of an emergency response in the Philippines, and it was an emergency response to a large typhoon, a typhoon Haiyan that had ripped through the centre of the Philippines. And as part of that, we're doing a range of programs. There's health, education, shelter, you know, gender-based violence, protection, all of the kind of things you can think of that after a big emergency, you would need to start thinking about again. And of course, I was like, how do we do this better? How do we continue to improve? And what happens often in emergencies is it's so full on that you're constantly just making decisions and you're, you know, decision after decision, meeting after meeting, getting your teams out into the field and just making stuff happen because, you know, people don't have clean water. People often don't have places to live. And this, when I talk about emergency response, this kind of goes on for six weeks and three months and, you know, one year about how do you, how do you get people back into a place where they can survive and thrive hopefully in the future? So we're kind of doing this, you know, trying to make decisions, trying to get stuff out the door without a lot of deeper thinking. And I I just thought, you know what, we need an innovation fund because there are so many great ideas about, oh, could we think about, you know, looking at how we do shelter differently or could we think about different ways of supporting kids not to get diseases, et cetera, in, in kind of this flood mess that had become of many places. And great, you know, we can have, we can provide money, we can provide mentorship, we can provide innovation tools like Lean Startup, et cetera, to, to groups anywhere in the Philippines, internationals, nationals, companies, NGOs, whatever, to just spend time on how do we make that better? How do we create this? How do we bring this new type of innovation in from wherever it might be or create it locally? It doesn't matter but really kind of dig down into some of those issues. And I was really excited as anyone who has invested in innovations, as anyone who has been an entrepreneur and built their own thing, of course, I'm like, this is going to be awesome. And I'd done a little bit of this kind of thing in the past. And so we got the money together and the people and the kind of design and setup. And what happened essentially to start the failing, to start the worst investment, was we basically, it went to kind of open and just got stuck in this political mire. It ended up being a kind of political football of like, what is this? You know, we need to be helping people now. Why are we having kind of mentorship as part of a emergency response? What, you know, isn't this stuff that should be happening elsewhere but not here? And on the other side, some people saying, well, this is my idea and it looks like this. And somebody else saying, this is my idea and it looks like this. And, and of course, it's during a really stressful time where everyone's working, you know, 18 hours a day. <laughs> and you just don't have yeah. a lot of time for to get into this kind of political ring. You know, things just need to keep moving. 
and it was just it was really stressful because I was heavily invested in the idea and at a at the kind of deepest level I knew it was the right way forward I knew we had to do more as a sector as a organization as an individual to help these people you know and it's not their fault that the typhoon had gone through and it's not you know in some of the most difficult times of their lives Mm. they've lost family they've lost houses they've lost their livelihoods their dreams have been ripped up and so how do we help them better so yeah very personally invested Mm. (laughs) and yeah it really came to these kind of conversations about how to move that forward where you know I'd have to leave the office and just be out in the car park and take some deep breaths and and walk around and and think I'm still gonna you know this can still move forward it has to move forward how does it move forward so essentially the innovation fund got scrapped because of politics and what ended up happening is I just basically built up a because we already had the funding we said okay this will be like an internal innovation fund essentially and as good ideas come in the door we can grant them out we can still do the mentoring we can still provide the tools but it's not going to be so big it will be more for like great ideas we have as an organization and I think that that was not as exciting, but mm-hmm. still important, I think. And there's a, there's just there's a bunch of things that I could talk about. So we, we ended up having some innovations come through. There were some which failed mm-hmm. awfully, and there were some actually which were really good and have been used in countries since. But when I'm kind of reflecting on on why that was so difficult, it wasn't just because of the politics, but Afterwards, after we started investing in these innovations, well, let me step back. I think the politics was difficult because we didn't have this kind of grand narrative. We didn't have this, here is this innovation fund, here's why it's unique, here's why it's important, and here's the direction. So there was a challenge in getting everyone to really understand what the thing was and get behind it. Mm. But once we'd actually started the innovation fund, while we had one thing I can point I could point to one project that's now was used to kind of scale different ways of thinking about shelter globally many of the projects I think failed and it was basically we were just we were using the wrong approach so what we had was we had these really big complex problems things like people needed to be housed They'd lost their homes, they'd lost everything in their homes and they couldn't go back to the same place because it was an issue for storm surge, tsunamis and otherwise. So we needed, they needed to be moved to different places, often in different communities with new types of housing and water and the rest. And so thinking about the kind of bigger outcomes of how do you provide safe, durable housing, it's not just like a simple how do you build a house? How do you build a house quickly? Mm. It's about what are, what are long-term effects for some of these people who will be in these houses for the rest of the, their lives, you know, some of them. And, you know, we used tools like Lean Startup. And I think, you know, some of these tools out of Silicon Valley are really useful for more simpler types of innovation. So if you were redesigning a dog collar, if you were coming up with a new kind of app, Angry Birds or something, yeah. 
those kind of, you know, Lean Start would be excellent and amazing and the right kind of thing to use. But trying to force that on a really complex problem, mm. it doesn't work and it, and it really wastes the time of people who are trying to do good work. And then you have the kind of mentorship. So we had these kind of innovation mentors and they'd be like, great, so what's the business model for this? You know, we're going to look at the business model canvas. And it's like, well, that doesn't work. You know, this is not a product that you're selling in the US, let alone this is actually a really, it's not only a product, but it's a shift in thinking it's a different way of acting and so while there has to be money and resources to to do this sustainably some of those tools some of the kind of mentoring practices again we realized it just it wasn't right for this kind of innovation and thirdly I think you know with the resources and some people I'm sure will agree is scaling innovation especially when you're looking at globally it's not really about the money (laughs) you know it's about when you're doing something really new and different it's about how do you get around the barriers how do you make these big deep strategic pivots how do you find the right people to change the legislation or to get the approvals or whatever it is and so while this kind of basic tool set of mentoring money and approach new approaches sounded great methodologies it just it wasn't right and so I think the other big fail the other reason I could say this is my worst investment ever is because we we just used the wrong innovation methods for the kind of challenges and solutions we had Mm. and so I you know in some ways some of the failures of what we funded were because of what we did. Yep, yep. So maybe you can uh, tell us about the lessons that you learned from this. Yeah, great. So, and and interestingly, after the Philippines, I went on to create a basically an innovation ecosystem lab in Nepal during the Nepal earthquake response, multiple labs globally, and now obviously using the kind of methodologies and thinking in business and social impact, climate change and elsewhere. So I've had a lot of time to think about what the lessons were. (laughs) And I think one is we didn't realise that different problems and different innovations require different tools and methodologies. And the way I think about it now is, you know, if you're creating a skyscraper in Dubai, that's really new and innovative. And it goes back to your question about what is innovation. Mm. You're using highly engineered project management tools because you can't just be like, cool, we're just going to put a brick down and learn and put another brick down and then the building falls over and we'll learn about that. (laughs) No, you know, there are, there's a five year process to like engineering and physics practices and, and before even, you know, taking the next two to five years to build it. And that's one type of innovation problem. And then you've got that kind of quite exploratory but but simple problem that a lot of innovation techniques have been written about and that's kind of, I would say, is very fashionable and useful now, which is that lean startup methodology, Mm. you know, like test, learn, change, 80-20 approaches of what's the most important thing, user-centered design of like, I have three users and I'm going to really find out what they need. 
And then you have the kind of complex innovation that you find many places, but, you know, anything climate change related or most things climate change related, often socially, social issues, a lot of governmental challenges, and we find it a lot in business often leaders, but not just leaders, who are trying to make big transformational shifts in their industries. Mm -hmm. And when you start to look at these big changes, you start to look at often systems, system innovation toolkits, where you say, okay, you know, to create Uber, you needed to have not just the technology, but you needed to actually build a whole system around this new type of transportation. Mm and you needed to change legislation, and you needed to have new types of insurance for cars, and you needed to create or build off, slightly adjust, a new type of worker, like what's an Uber driver, what's the kind of contractual promises they make. You need to create the two-sided marketplace. You need to have people comfortable with getting into somebody's car that they don't know, which is very common now, but not not at the beginning of Uber. And so when you see these kind of big, you know, asteroid game-changing innovations, they are complex. There are multiple different types of organisations and people involved. There's often tech. So there's just, it's not simple and it does take a real approach to look at the bigger picture and take in that complexity. And is, is that where, you know, if I think about the listener out there that's working in maybe a corporate environment or something and they want to do something innovative, but sometimes they may not think about all of the pieces of that, the complexity of that, is that part of the lesson that you learn is that you really got to understand that it's more than just being excited about an idea, but there's a lot of pieces to this puzzle. And maybe some of those people that were speaking up, you know, they may have some valid points, other ones just are resisting, but maybe in the beginning as a wanting to innovate, it's like, wow, no, that's just resistance, you know, but actually there's some validity to the fact that there's a lot of complexity to innovating. Mm. And you often find, well, you find some business literature which talks about you've got to simplify the problem. You've got to make it as simple as possible and then you work with it. And actually when you're working with complex problems, when you're innovating around them, you need to actually step back and you need to take in all of that complexity to be able to do transformational shifts. Mm. An example I often use is Lego, right? So like you zoom right in and you say, right, I need all the red pieces that are small and that look like this and then we can build this specific type of thing which will be slightly better. And it will be better, Mm. you know, like hopefully I'm not saying... There's definitely validity to that. But if you say, you know, we're going to tackle the pharmaceutical market in the US, pharmacy market in the US, which is rapidly changing, you would say, actually, do you know what? I want that whole Lego set. I want all the pieces of all the different sizes mm-hmm. and I want to see what I can build with that. And that's that's saying I'm not going to pretend this is simple. I'm going to pretend this is as difficult and complex and, you know, there's all these parts here. But because I can see and work with all the parts, I can actually build something that will change the game. Mm. I can build something that will be transformational for that okay. sector. Yep. And I think, you know, there's the obvious obvious kind of funding and, and mentoring isn't enough. But I think programs that look at these kind of big innovations also move past that to say, how do you support 
the innovator and the innovation where it is. Mm. So, you know, for example, in Nepal, we funded a project which looked at remote management of construction. So health clinics, schools, individuals' houses, et cetera, after the emergency. And that was funded and a really interesting project. But actually one of the biggest challenges with that project was not money and it wasn't expertise, but it was getting the right government approvals to bring in drones to Nepal. Mm. Um, finding the right person who could get that approval and that's now that project management process and software now works on billions of dollars of construction globally and one of the guys who was part of that right at the start said this wouldn't have moved without the lab because of that approval like Mm. that the project would have been canned you know we can't do one thing yeah and so and so how do you how do you say, well, of course the funding and the mentoring is important, but actually it's it's being able to guide and support innovators around what they need to do to get to where they are, mm. not kind of hemming them into a business model canvas or a um, or a, you know whatever it might be. Well yeah. maybe I'll summarize some of the things that I took away from this. You know, I just I wrote down a lot of notes. And I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go through them kind of rather than telling a particular story, but I just going to go through, you know, the first thing you talked about is decision fatigue. And there's a great book called willpower that talks about decision fatigue. The other thing you talked about is the excitement of kind of that startup or the, the new idea and the excitement that you felt. Then the other thing I wrote down is, you know, valid versus invalid idea, you know, and thinking about that, The other thing I wrote down was allocating resources. You know, what resources do you have? And then, you know, you talked about thinking about the balance between long-term versus short-term. You know, you have an emergency on your hand and how much long-term thinking can be done in that environment. And then I also wrote that it didn't fit the culture too. Like, so if the whole culture of the organization is to solve an immediate short-term problem, then if your idea is to bring a long-term solution. It just may be something that's hard for people to really deal with. I wrote down another word, which was pride, you know, thinking about, you know, how we get excited about our own ideas. And then I thought about, you know, right place, right time, right thing, right people, you know, like you've got to get things. And then finally, my last thing I wrote down was embrace complexity. Like, you know, there are, there are problems that you need to solve that are very complex. I have a, a friend of mine had a, idea that she wanted somebody to write software to run her hospital here in Thailand because all the off-the-shelf software just didn't do it. And she hired a guy that ended up setting up a company. And basically over 16 years, he developed software to run that hospital. And uh, he basically made it so that was the only hospital in the world run on one piece of software. If a x-ray machine wanted to come in and sell to this hospital, they had to show that they could connect into that software system. And as a result, it was one of the most efficient hospitals in the world. But I also could see that, you know, I used to see the the guy that was the the founder of that business, the software development guy, the business development guy, basically, I would see him get so frustrated and angry at people. And I couldn't understand. Sometimes he would yell at me about something. I wouldn't really understand why, but I realized that later he he was what I call a unifier. He saw all of the pieces to this puzzle. 
and he knew how complex it was. And he knew that he couldn't let anything come into this complex system unless it could either, you know, first it had to add significant value, like a new CAT scan or whatever, but it had to also fit into the system because he was unifying the whole system. So he embraced complexity. And in the end, we sold that software and I was the financial advisor for them to sell it. And we sold it to Microsoft and Microsoft bought it as hospital operating systems that they wanted to sell. They later shut it down, unfortunately. But the point was, was that sometimes you have to embrace complexity. So let me ask you, I've got a lot of different things I took away from it, but I want to also think about that young man or woman out there listening who's in maybe a corporate environment or you know, a humanitarian environment or an NGO environment, and they've, they've got their new idea and they want to bring it into the organization and they got a lot of excitement about it. So let me ask you, based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action, I'm going to hold you to one, <laughs> would you recommend that they take to avoid suffering the same fate? I would say... If you want to go big, if you want to create something that's really transformational, then you should be using systems innovation and the tools associated with that. Mm. Don't hem yourself into small ideas and small innovation traps. Okay. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Yeah. So I'm running Innovation Ecosystem, which is a specialist consultancy and so over the next 12 months, yeah, I just want to help people create big shifts in their industries. Mm. That's what excites me. That's kind of what gets me up in the morning, what gets me thinking. That is exciting. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, reduce risk and increase return in your life. To achieve this, I've created our community at myworstinvestmentever.com. So join and get also the special discount on the six-week valuation masterclass bootcamp. As we conclude, Jenny, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Thanks and good luck on the next investment. Boom. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.